the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, January 14th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll consider AIB's plans to outsource 170 positions in its IT operations and the latest developments in the Sean Quinn bankruptcy saga. But let's start with AIB. On Tuesday, AIB confirmed plans to outsource 170 roles in its IT and technology operations to three companies, Aircom, Integrity and Wipro. Joining me in studio to discuss the implications for workers is Larry Broderick, General Secretary of the Irish Bank Officials Association. Larry, thank you for joining us. Thank you. What exactly is AIB planning? Well, the strategy in the short term is to focus on their IT operations phase one and outsource much of the work to create a greater efficiencies, reduce risk and probably to reduce costs. That would be their overall plan. I think they see this as part of an overall review of the organisation, very much linked to the government strategy to sell, off, to sell off AIB and to make AIB probably a better marketable product on the, on the marketplace. Okay, you say phase one, which suggests there's a phase two and possibly three, four and five maybe afterwards. Yes, in fairness, as part of the uh, agreement we have with the bank on the restructuring, they have briefed us that there is a number of strategies to look at the whole uh, further phase two of IT and to look at other centralisation of activities that may involve outsourcing in other areas, including part of the group in GB and Northern Ireland. Right, okay. So what's this going to mean for your staff? Does 170 staff face being outsourced yeah, well, later this year? The, the immediate reaction for the IT staff, I suppose, is that although this has been discussed, we've argued very strongly that maybe this is not the right thing to do for AIB, for the Irish government and for staff themselves. And to some extent, I suppose, the bank have decided this is where it's at. So for staff yesterday, this was a very bitter disappointment for them because what's happening now is that banks are saying we no longer want you and we're now giving you over to somebody else. The implication for the 171 staff is that they will be now with a new employer and that will t- start to commence at the end of April or early May for many of that staff and it will probably mean new terms and conditions of employment and a new environment. So from the staff's perspective I suppose they see themselves as being vulnerable in terms of the future security of employment they see themselves concerned in relation to paying terms and conditions of employment. Having said that both the bank and all of the vendors have clearly committed to sit down with us and they go about and negotiate which, if they want to reach agreement on this with us, has to address all of those issues. Isn't there legislation in place, though, that that means the transfer of undertakings uh, kicks in and and they go across in the same pay? Yeah, there is legislation called the Chupi legislation that really covers staff broad terms and conditions of employment on transfer, but they're quite restrictive. For example, they deal with pay and they deal with uh, most of the benefits that people would have. They don't deal with job security. They certainly don't deal with pensions, which would be a big issue given the long debates we have with AIB. And I suppose for staff themselves, they are in a very unionised, very organised environment in AIB. And some of these companies uh, don't have trade unions, so there's uncertainty there. I suppose the key for the staff, they are technologists, so there might be a number of staff that may view this development from a positive point of view, but it's far different working in an organisation that has 11,500 staff with greater opportunities to progress to these companies that tend to be smaller. And one of them in particular, uh, Whipro, who are a new company in the Irish marketplace and there isn't a present in Ireland other than a call centre in Shannon. So there's a lot of uncertainties there and they're the things we need to address. Okay, but the bank have said there won't be any job losses, haven't they? And isn't the pension scheme already closed? 
Well, the, the bank have said there's no job losses, but that doesn't necessarily mean that as staff transfer across, they may, mm. they may not have jobs in the other company on transfer. So there is an issue about job security. We have an agreement with AIB over the next number of years that if restructuring was to take place, and even jobs were changed, people would have the opportunity of voluntary redundancy. So we'd be looking for that to be replicated in these new companies. In relation to the issue of uh, the second matter, I think the, the fact of the matter is we have a new pension agreement with AIB, which is a defined contribution scheme of a contribution of 21% or up to 21% by the employer. Now, in the technology industry, that is a very, very significant uh, benefit. And there isn't too many companies outside AIB and some bigger companies that have that arrangement. So there would be some concern that that will be difficult to replicate in these talks. Okay. Now, you've been meeting with the companies who are going to be taking these staff on, Aircom, Integrity and Wipro. What have they been telling you? Yeah, we've met them today, which has been positive. Uh, clear messages that they believe this is in their own strategic interest and a very strong commitment to look at the people proposition and are very conscious to engage in negotiation with us at a very early stage with a view to reach agreement. But you'd expect uh, new companies coming on the block to say that. I think the challenge will be over the next number of weeks because we've indicated we need an agreement on this because we will not be cooperating on any aspect of this till there's an agreement in place. So I think the discussions have commenced positively. The real question would be how will it materialise? But all the indications are positive for the moment. Okay. Let's just break it down. How many go to Aircom? 35 of the staff will be transferred to Aircom. And to Wipro? Uh, 100 and, uh, 130 will go to Wipco. So and that about six. Yeah, we'll end up to, to integrity. Integrity, right? Tell us a little bit more about Wipro. It's a new new player on the Irish scene in outsourcing terms. New, new player on the Irish scene, a, a very well respected international uh, company uh, with a number of arms. It's a listed company. It's a listed right? company. Yeah, it's an Indian company. Uh, significant employment right across Europe. Uh, very much a niche player. It was involved in Lloyd's that involved in the uh, company at uh, the call centre in uh, Shannon, which was involved in part of a transfer between Lloyd's and Whipcro. Uh, certainly, all the indications are that very strong technology focus. Uh, their people's proposition seems to be very focused on trying to create a competitive edge in technology and would have said to us today that they've won a lot of awards and the usual, usual things that you hear here. But I suppose the interesting thing for the staff is there's no presence uh, outside of the Shannon Call Centre uh, that will support the kind of area that they're looking at, which is mainly in the storage area and handling area of technology that they're looking at. And I think what they said is in terms of an investment, they will be uh, purchasing or leasing uh, a, a presence here here in Dublin. And they told are, you where? Not yet. Uh, we'll probably know that in the next number of, of, of days. And secondly, very strong emphasis on building up and being a niche player in Ireland. I suppose the vulnerability for staff going across is that, is this the first phase of a, of a potential offshoring? Because they are very strong internationally, have a very strong base in India, and that will be an issue we have to address as part of the discussions, and we raised that today with the company. Yeah. Now, this isn't the first outsourcing deal in AIB. Uh, how many of the AIB staff, roughly speaking, are on outsourcing arrangements? About about 500 staff have been impacted over the last 12 months. Uh, it started with learning and development where Accenture took a lot of that staff on. Most of the staff at the time decided to opt for voluntary severance rather than transfer across, but a number have. 
Then we had HCLs involved both in the UK and Ireland with the desktop arrangement. So that's another significant couple of hundred staff that were impacted. Some t- have taken voluntary servants, others have transferred across. We have the recent discussions with uh, Noonan's in relation to the whole facilities management. Over 300 staff were involved in this and we just present arrangement. And I think it's likely that there will be hundreds of other staff potentially impacted on further outsourcing. So there's a very significant trail mm. behind so it's us. here to stay. Here to stay and it wouldn't be the only bank that would have that. We would What's have the had. experience of Bank of Ireland? Bank of Ireland, there's two major uh, transfers in 2001-2002. We had the transfer of the IT operation in Cabinteely to HP and subsequently to IBM. And then recently in Bank of Ireland, we've seen the outsourcing of the GTAC operation uh, out in out in Cabinteely again to other outsourcers. So there's been experiences. Uh, some of them have been mixed in terms of people's personal perspective. But again, we've negotiated deals that staff have signed up to. And has AB given any indication as to how much they will save? From no, what, no, that's one of the things that obviously is part of the negotiations. Contracts have been signed apparently last Friday. Uh, we've asked for a cost-benefit analysis to see what's the benefit. There obviously is strategic benefit, cost-benefit, and we want to ensure that that as well as being ploughed back into AB, that staff are not the, the fodder. That, in other words, they are the, the net beneficiary is the bank rather than the staff. So we need to factor into those negotiations. Yeah, OK. Now, you're also looking at a pay rise uh, yes. at AIB. It's been a number of years, I presume, since mm. they've had a, a pay increase. Maybe increments have been paid in, in the meantime, I don't no. know, but no increments either. No, no. So there's been no increase. Have mm. there actually been any pay cuts or has it just been no, as I mean, you were? No, I was being as, as you were. I mean, since, the, since the, the, the last pay increase to staff in AIB was in 2008, uh, and since that time, there was a freeze on increments and a freeze on any pay increases. And no bonuses. And no bonuses or any oh. any incentive payments whatsoever. Okay. Now, you recently agreed to deal with Bank of Ireland, I think 3.75% mm, over 18 correct. months. What are you hoping to achieve with AIB? Well, we have to sit down with AIB and look at it in, t- in two streams. First of all, it's about putting a new pay structure for the future. Because part of the negotiations under the restructuring 18 months ago was to accept that the old pay structures that operate would be bought out and the lump sum was paid to staff to buy that out. So I think two phases. Phase one is to look at what jobs will remain in the bank, what are the uh, qualities and the expertise that will be required, and then to put a price on those jobs and how people will progress within those scales. And then the second will be to put a cost of living or a cooperation payment in place. And I suppose it's a bit early for us to formalise a claim, but obviously we'd be mindful of the kind of deal we've done in Bank of Ireland and mindful of the kind of deals we've done in in, a, in an Ulster Bank. And I suppose if our negotiators going into those negotiations would be saying that they would be the kind of minimum we'd expect to emerge out of that process. Of course, AIB could have a new owner at some point in the next uh, year or two because the government is preparing the way to return it to private ownership. It might be a partial sale initially. It might be a whole sale. Who knows uh, what's going to happen? So how long a deal do you think you might get? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to look at the phasing of this. Uh, our own view is that we feel there's a debt due back to 2014. So any pay deal we do has to cover 2014, 2015, and maybe 2016. Uh, secondly, I suppose, yes, uh, I think regardless of who the owner is, I think it's in everybody's interest that there's a strong motivated staff, particularly as the bank is back into profitability. There's a lot of change, and there will be a lot of change in terms of any perspective view of what AIB will be like into the future. So I think you know our view would be the ownership is a side issue. Ultimately, we're saying to either a prospective buyer, another bank, our investors, or indeed the manager of the bank, you need to address the pay issue and you need to address it now. Okay, Larry Broad, thank you for joining us. Thank you. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We move now to the latest developments in the case of Sean Quinn's bankruptcy. On Monday, the former billionaire was before the High Court in relation to his discharge from bankruptcy. Colin Keane, a public affairs correspondent of the Irish Times, was in court to hear a ruling requiring Sean Quinn to pay €10,000 a year for the next two years to the official assignee Chris Lahan, who manages all bankruptcy cases. Colin, why did Chris Lahan seek this order? Yeah, uh, well, things have been moving pretty quickly uh in relation to Sean Quinn over recent weeks. And one of the things that happened was a group, a local interest group took over the uh, construction materials end of the Quinn Group uh, manufacturing businesses uh, officially uh, there just before Christmas. This is uh, Quinn Business Retention Company. Exactly, yeah. And they're backed by some of the major bondholders uh, who lost out in the collapse of the Quinn Group. And um, the uh, Mr. Quinn turned up at the premises there just before Christmas and uh, you know, and there was that was a kind of an emotional moment for him. And there were stories in the media that he was going to be hired as an advisor to uh, QBRC and as a paid advisor. And um, so then uh, Chris Lahan down in Dublin read those reports and sent a letter off to Mr. Quinn asking him uh, for details as to his income. And later sent him a letter saying, uh, "Have you got an interest in QBRC already?" any entitlement in the future time to a, an, an interest in QBRC. And there's a there's a provision in the bankruptcy law that allow, while the person is bankrupt, and you must remember that Mr. Quinn is emerging from bankruptcy this week, so while the person is, is, still, is still bankrupt, the official uh, assignee uh, can... Um, can say, look, I want some of your future earnings. And that up to five years, isn't it? Up right? to five years from, from the date of your emergence from bankruptcy. So in that context, he thought, I better find out whether he's got a, a, a cut in this QBRC business and whether he, what's his income going to be. Sean Quinn eventually agreed to meet with Chris Lahan down in Dublin and it was agreed, or Mr. Quinn made an offer, that he would pay €10,000 a year for two years uh, and uh, from any income he receives. Now, he's not, he doesn't have a job yet. He doesn't have any promise of any income. And that income has to be over and above the minimum that you're allowed under the bankruptcy rules for living expenses, etc. Right. Um, why 10,000 10, euro? It seems like a small well, amount. I'm well, sure he's going to be charging a large consultancy fee to this company. Well, I guess it depends on what... We don't know, we don't know what happened in that conversation between uh, Mr. Lyon and Mr. Quinn, but... Uh, I suppose he, he must have given some guidance as to what what it uh, what he expected to earn, or else you could have a contested court hearing. Uh, we didn't have a contested court hearing; it went ahead on on consent. Right. Okay. Now there are a lot of moving parts to this Quinn story. Yes. And later that evening, there was a, a public meeting uh, in the Cavan Fermanagh area, uh, whereby about a thousand people turned out, and it was to protest at the fact that the glass container business, which was once a key part of the Quinn Group. Uh, was about to be sold to a Spanish company. That deal has subsequently gone through. I think it's a company called Fatral. It's going to pay €408 million to buy the business. But they were complaining that it should stay in local hands. And QBRC, 
was one of uh, the bidders, but it shows a strong level of local support still for Sean Quinn, in spite of everything that's happened uh, to him over the past six years and everything that has emerged in relation to his role with Anglo-Irish Bank, the collapse of the insurance company, etc. Yeah, well, a lot of the coverage you'd see in the media and the national media would be... uh, destructive, if you want, of, of Sean Quinn's uh, reputation, but up, uh, up where the glass plants are and the, the, const- the construction uh, materials plants are, it seems to be almost 100% support for the man and a great sense of uh, appreciation what he's done, f- done for the area. And I think uh, when you're, when you're uh, thinking about this story, you have to imagine a, a, a small country road with a hill on one side of it that goes from Derry Lynn to Ballyconnell, not particularly... Uh, uh, rich looking land and then halfway down that road there's suddenly this explosion of manufacturing plants that this extraordinary man built this huge um, uh, manufacturing empire which Ireland doesn't have a particularly good record in that regard built this manufacturing uh, uh, empire on that land and it's an extraordinary extraordinary achievement so he, he, he was huge trauma for him when he lost that and there's a lot of strange things went on afterwards with parties who we don't know who or Mr Quinn condemned them trying to burn down uh, facilities there and threaten people who, who were sent in uh, after the bank seized the group but there was a campaign of intimidation there also was a campaign of local support for uh, retention of, lo- of local uh, control of the manufacturing plants they achieved that in, re- in relation to construction units but we've just heard this week now that a Spanish group are going to take over the glass unit and that is a major part of the manufacturing elements of the Quinn group yeah, no, there was a lot of controversy as well about assets that were held overseas uh, by the Quinn Group and that they were under the control of certain members of the Quinn family. This is a story you've uh, covered yourself over the past uh, couple of years. Where are we at in relation to that? Well, where we're at is they were told to to give this give control of these assets back to the back to the IBRC. Um, how much? How much are we talking about? In well, we were talking about approximately half a billion euros worth of property but that was before the, the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine if I can call it that and uh, you know the, the collapse of the or possible collapse of the uh, Russian economy so those properties are now worth a lot less than they were some smaller ones are now being sold off what kind of price they'll get from them is, a, is an ongoing issue um, but that did a lot of, lot of damage to, to Mr Quinn's uh, uh, reputation and just to go back a second I mean, this campaign against of intimidation against the people who took over the running of the manufacturing plants in the in the Cavan Fermanagh um, border area, you know, that pa- perhaps affected the value of those assets as well. So when you see that um, 400 million euros has been paid for the last business, you have to wonder whether you know, more bidders might have come forward if it hadn't been for the campaign of intimidation, whether better bids might have been on the table if there wasn't a campaign of intimidation. And uh, unfortunately for Mr. Quinn, you have to, you know, that is part of the damage to his reputation, that that sort of thing is going on. I'm not saying he's behind the campaign of intimidation, but the whole thing has been a bit of a sorry mess. Sure, yeah. And just in relation to the overseas assets, to the family of Sean Quinn, do they still have uh, some control of these assets or has it been wrestled away from the family? I know that they, at various points, have denied any such Mm. control, if you like. Well, they've admitted that that there was a campaign initiated to to stop the 
former Anglo-Irish bank getting their hands on the assets and that there were steps taken to, to prevent the, the bank exercising its proper legal uh, rights over the properties. Then they say they lost, that in their dealings with these people uh, in Russia and elsewhere, they lost control of these assets. And then after that, it's, it gets very murky and it's hard to say what, what happened and what didn't happen. But the, the uh, bank... The, the IBRC uh, in liquidation has, I think, asserted control over most of the property and all of the rent roll, as far as I, uh, as I understand it at the moment. And um, that the whether the bank can can find new evidence to show that the Queens persisted in these efforts or misled the courts at some stage, you know, might still happen because it's still a live issue. And then on the other side. You have the Quinn family going against the bank, saying that it was um, wrong in the first place to to have seized the group and and the family assets from the family. Okay, now Sean Quinn emerges on Friday from bankruptcy after uh, three years as a as a bankrupt. Um, what do you think he's going to do? Any sense what, what what he's going to do? Is he going to be back in business? Do you think? Yeah, I I would presume so. I mean, he spent his whole life building up these these. Um, these businesses, he is obviously a phenomenon, a business phenomenon. Um, it's the people who worked with him for the last few decades who are now going to be running these businesses. Arguably, they're the best team to run these businesses. They have all the relationships. They know who to phone. They have the numbers and so on. And uh, so, you know, on, I've looked at it from that point of view. Arguably, it's a good, uh, you know, it's good prospect for the uh, for the businesses he and his former executives will have uh, a role in running and um, yeah he um, played a key role in the demise of Anglo-Irish Bank didn't he yes he did so I was about to say you want to keep a close eye on him though and uh, you know not give him control over any investments he can make or our borrowings he can make uh, uh, in relation to those assets <laughs> and does he have I mean he is a bankrupt so where where is he going to get the financial wherewithal if you like to get back into business well I don't know I don't well First, firstly, he, he, he like you said earlier, he lacked as an advisor, and presumably he'll get well paid for that. And uh, secondly, the the objective, if you want, from the bondholders' point of view, from the construction business, is that that's an interesting one because these three bondholders back the purchase from themselves. If you're, they were the majority owners of of the the Aventus assets, the former Quinn Group manufacturing assets, and um, so th- what they want is to get their money back. And if the people who are going to be running the construction materials end of things run run a good ship and grow the business and make money presumably they could they could renegotiate their loans pay off the bondholders and then it's their then it's their business if they want to sell it to somebody else if they want to give anybody else a shareholding in it in return for you know services rendered or whatever you know down the line well that's their own business you know and uh, so you know, you'd have to say Mr. Quinn is a very determined and very emotionally attached to all of this, as are his family. So I don't see them, um, you know, I think you would presume that they'll end up involved. OK, Colin Keenan, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to producer Declan Collin and sound engineer JJ Vernon. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.